Fabian's Revenge with Jeremy Bowman, Episode 10, Multicast in SD-WAN. In our previous episode, we discussed how multicast in the SDA fabric works. We mentioned there are two methods to choose from, ingress replication and native multicast. One of the key differences between the two methods in SDA was whether the VXLAN packet was a unicast packet in the ingress replication scenario or was a multicast packet in the underlay in the case of the native multicast. Because the enterprise is managing the devices as part of the campus, it is easy for the enterprise to deploy multicast in the underlay. When we examine SD-WAN, the SD-WAN environment is dependent upon the environment of the transport provider. While private providers may be willing to support multicast across the MPLS cloud for a fee, Multicast support is not easily found on public providers like the internet. Additionally, it would not be an optimal security design to transmit multicast data to who knows whoever is listening across the internet. Therefore, in SD-WAN, the service VPNs utilize an ingress replication type mechanism through OMP. Obviously, the more remote sites that require the various multicast streams create additional load on the device performing the ingress replication. Therefore, it is important when designing the SD-WAN environment to be careful to consider all of the possible multicast streams and where replication will actually be occurring. So before we dive into the replication parts, let's refresh quickly how any source multicast works in a normal network environment via PIM sparse mode, then we'll examine the required changes and design considerations for SD-WAN support. As we discussed in our last episode, Whenever an endpoint wants to receive a multicast stream, it signals to its upstream router its intent via IGMP. The router will maintain a state table of the latest endpoints requesting a particular multicast group or stream. As long as a client on that particular routed interface is signaling the desire to receive the stream once a minute, the router will continue to forward the multicast traffic out that interface appropriately. If no client is signaling for the stream, then the interface will be pruned off the tree after three minutes. This router is referred to as the last hop router or LHR. In ASM, the LHR will send a PIM join towards the rendezvous point or RP. The RP constitutes the root of the shared tree. The shared tree is visualized in the router state table with the star comma G multicast route entries. Notice that we said the PIM join is sent towards the RP. The LHR does not know how many routers are between itself and the actual RP, so it sends the PIM message as a multicast message out the interface towards the RP. The effect then is that the next upstream router, who is also participating in PIM, will receive and process the message itself, adding the receiving interface towards our LHR into its own multicast state table if necessary, then send the PIM join further upstream towards the RP. This process continues towards the RP to create the shared tree for that particular multicast group. Since routers can be configured with different RPs based on the specific groups, each group has its own shared tree with that group's specific RP as the root. That is how the receivers and the routers signal to the RP they want to receive a particular group, but what happens from the source? As we discussed in previous episodes, the multicast source does not ask for permission to send, it just sends the data. The multicast stream is seen on ingress on the upstream router. This router is the FHR or first hop router. 
When the stream first starts, the FHR does not have any state for that particular group. So it will encapsulate the multicast packet as a unicast PIM register message to the RP. If the RP does not have any state in that group yet because there haven't been any receivers registered on any of the LHRs, then the RP will update its state table that there is a source, but it will just drop the packet. If, however, there is a registration for the particular multicast group, then the RP will send a PIM join for the group towards the FHR. Once the FHR has received the join, the FHR will begin forwarding the multicast traffic out the interfaces that have registered. Once the routers are receiving the multicast traffic, they will eventually move over to the source tree from the shared tree by sending a PIM join towards the source instead of the RP. As we also discussed previously, there is the RPF check that must be considered. That is the reverse path forwarding check. If multicast traffic arrives on a router interface that the router would not use to forward out for the unicast traffic, then it will drop that multicast traffic. Let's imagine router A receives the same multicast packet on both interface 1 and interface 2 coming from source X. The router will compare that ingress interface to its own routing table. If the router would have forwarded unicast traffic destined to X out interface 1, then the multicast data received on interface 2 is dropped. Only the multicast traffic received on interface 1 is actually processed and forwarded as appropriate. So we have reviewed at a high level the signaling in the network to support any source multicast. What does this have to do with SD-WAN? First, let's point out that the PIM and IGMP signaling on the service side of the edge router is the same as what we just described. The real question is what is happening on the transport side. As you may remember, OMP, or the Overlay Management Protocol, is used by the SD-WAN devices between the edges and the vSmarts as the control plane protocol. Within OMP, there are more address families than just the traditional IPv4 and IPv6 unicast address families. The IPsec keyring information, for instance, is passed between the devices via the OMP protocol through vSmart. Additionally, not only is there a multicast address family in OMP, but OMP is also used to signal between the devices which C-Edge is a multicast replicator. Let's discuss what happens when we have a data center with a head-end C-Edge and a hub-and-spoke topology. At the data center, we have our source, and many of the remote sites want to receive that particular multicast traffic. The source can send the traffic whenever it is ready, but it will not start flowing across our WAN topology until we have some remote sites that signal their intent to receive the traffic to the RP. When we enable multicast for a particular service VPN on a C-Edge, that C-Edge will originate a multicast service route known as a multicast auto-discover route to the vSmarts. The information will contain whether or not PIM is enabled on the service side for that particular service VPN as well as whether the C-Edge is a multicast replicator for that service VPN. By default, both of those would be off. Additionally, the PIM-enabled C-Edges will pass information learned from the PIM messaging at the local site to the vSmarts. This would include the current multicast group state, source information, and RPs. 
As part of the signaling mechanism in OMP, the C-Edge routers send multicast service routes to the vSmart in OMP. The vSmart processes the multicast service routes, which include the PIM join information, and forwards that to the appropriate Edge devices. In this way, OMP essentially sits in the middle of the total PIM cloud. When the signaling is completed, the multicast stream from our source at the data center will start to arrive at our head-end C-Edge. If the head-end C-Edge is configured as a multicast replicator itself for that particular service VPN, then it would replicate the stream and encapsulate it in IPsec unicast data packets towards each of the remote C-Edges that need the stream. But what if the router is not configured as a multicast replicator? In that case, the C-Edge would only send the stream to the closest multicast replicator. When the C-Edge is provisioned with its GPS coordinates, those same coordinates are used to determine which multicast replicator in a specific VPN is geographically closest to the C-Edge. The C-Edge will then send the data to that replicator C-Edge, again as a unicast IPsec packet, which will then handle the actual data replication and forward the stream to the remote locations. This could be important for some applications where you have configured the multicast replicator at one data center, but the source is at another, for instance. The multicast replicator concept is designed to reduce the overhead on the main C-Edge routers forwarding unicast, but care should be taken in designing the multicast replication topology to prevent non-optimized routing pathways. Whether you're using hub and spoke, full mesh, or partial mesh, you might consider just enabling multicast replication on all of your C-Edge devices. From a first glance, this might seem like a no-brainer aha kind of moment. Whenever a particular site is sending multicast traffic, the C-Edge picks itself as the replicator because the distance to itself is always zero. But you should remember that the point of the replicator function is to offload the additional crypto overhead processing that comes from creating all of the unicast data packets from the single multicast packet that's received. Additionally, if a particular site does not have multicast sources, having it as a multicast replication location could prove disastrous. While rare, a poorly designed environment could create micro loops during route convergence, leaving your small router with handling the multicast replication duties of many streams to many locations. You would most likely have other more pressing issues to address than the multicast load in this scenario, but definitely something you would want to consider and be careful of. As we are discussing SD-WAN multicast, there is one last point to make mention. In the OMP unicast world, Extranet is supported. However, it's not currently supported in SD-WAN multicast. What does that mean? In the vSmart control plane policy, the routes from one service VPN may be leaked into another service VPN at a particular site. Therefore, service VPN 10 at site 1 could potentially share unicast routing information with service VPN 20 at site 2. This is normally referred to as an extranet. However, while this control policy configuration works and is supported for unicast, the multicast information from VPN 10 at site 1 
would not be shared with VPN20 at site 2. This could lead to some unusual behavior in your multicast environment. If you require the multicast traffic to be shared in an extranet type fashion like this, then you will not be able to utilize the vSmart control plane policy for the intended effect. Instead, the service VPNs must be defined at both sites, and the route targets at the two locations in the two service VPNs should be manipulated so that the import or export the appropriate route targets of the other location. Ordinarily, the vManage will configure your route targets with the value of the local service VPN. Adding the route target information of the other service VPN in addition to the normally provisioned information will allow the creation of a unicast and multicast extranet. Obviously, this configuration should be handled with care and evaluated in a lab environment prior to moving into production to ensure the proper behavior. This has been Episode 10 of IBN's Revenge with Jeremy Bowman. We look forward to your comments and suggestions. Perhaps there is a topic you would like us to discuss. You can reach us on Twitter at IBN's Revenge or send us email to comments at IBN's Revenge.com.